Thank you for uh, ministry of music and also the fine congregational singing this morning and certainly has prepared our hearts for the receiving of his word. The last time we were in 2 Peter, we considered the truthfulness and the authority of the scriptures. The emphasis was that we can have even more confidence in the scriptures than we have in the most reliable eyewitness accounts. The scriptures are the very word of God and not constrained by human limitations. This morning, the emphasis is that we must be on guard against those who would misuse and misrepresent the scriptures. In short, we must be on guard against people who will teach the word of God falsely. In short, we must be ever vigilant of the need to guard the truthfulness of God's word. The theme this morning is the reasons why we need to be on guard against false teachers. The reasons why we need to be on guard against false teachers. First, we need to be on guard against false teachers because we are going to encounter false teachers. Mark Twain once famously said that half the things in life that we worry about never even happen. I found that there have been researchers who have estimated, and I don't know how this happens, but take it for what it's worth, researchers have estimated that it's more like 85% of the things that people worry about don't even happen. Well, in this instance, the threat of false teachers is real. This isn't just paranoia. This isn't just something that may happen or, or may not happen. The scriptures state that we will encounter false teachers. Look with me at verse 1. But false prophets also were among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. There will be. Not that there might be. Not that there's a likelihood. But there is a statement of fact. There will be false teachers among you. False teaching abounds. False teaching is prevalent. False teaching is everywhere. And so there needs to be an awareness and a vigilance against false teaching. What we're to be on guard against is false teachers of the word. It should be noted that in our text there is a distinction as well as a comparison between false teachers and false prophets. Look with me at verse 1. But false prophets also were among the people. Notice the false prophets. Notice that they were among the people. But notice also that that is in the past tense. But false teachers were also among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you. Why the change between the false prophets and the false teachers? Well, I would submit to you that this points us to the era in which we live. The scriptures teach us that there will come a time 
when prophets of old will no longer minister, that there will be a time in which God is going to bring a close to the prophetic word of God. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 13 and verse 1 and following, it says, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. I would submit to you that that is referring to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fountain of his blood, and it will cleanse us from sin and unrighteousness. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. It's really interesting in this period of time in which we live that idol worship in Israel is non-existent. That the gods of Molech, the, the gods of the Old Testament, the idols that were created, that is not how the false worship is being manifested in Israel today. Those elements have passed away. And it says that I also will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him shall say to him, you shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. That simply by declaring that you are a prophet is going to identify you as a false prophet. I believe that the area, era of prophecy has come to an end of which this scripture verse is referring. Now we have the completed canon of the scriptures. We have the word of God. We should not be expecting prophets to be giving us new revelation. And therefore, all such claims we should simply dismiss and ignore. It should be simple, if you will. But the matter of false teachers is another matter entirely. For now, it's going to require a great deal of discernment in order to distinguish between the true and the false teacher. For they will be supposedly grounding themselves in the teaching of the scriptures. What false teachers and false prophets have in common is a claim that they are speaking for God when in fact they are not speaking for God. Number two, we need to be on guard against false teachers because there's a danger of false teachers coming from both within and without the church. We need to be on guard against false teachers because there's a danger of teachers coming from both within and without the church. Verse 1. But a false prophets also among, rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. There will be false teachers in your midst. In the book of Acts, we have an account of the Apostle Paul preparing the Ephesian elders for the time in which Paul will no longer be ministering among them. Paul is about to die. And so he calls for the elders at Ephesus to meet him at Miletus. And Paul warns the Ephesian elders of false teachers that will be present after his death. If you want to throw with me to Acts chapter 20, I'm going to be in these verses for a few moments. Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17. On his travels, Paul summoned the Ephesian elders 
to meet him at Miletus, Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Paul informed the elders that his ministry to them was completed, verse 25. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming his kingdom will see my face again. So Paul announces that his death is imminent and that they were not going to, to see him again. Paul recounts that he had been faithful in teaching the word of God, verses 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul rightfully taught and expounded the full doctrines of the word of God. Paul then exhorts the elders to guard their own hearts and that of the church as a whole, verse 26, excuse me, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Guard your hearts and guard the hearts of the people. Paul then informs the elders why they need to be on guard, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. These fierce wolves are going to come in. That is that they're going to enter into the flock. They, they're coming from without. That is, people who are outside of the local congregation will become part of that local congregation. And they will, in fact, be wolves. They will not be sheep. They will not be true children of God. But they're going to be interlopers. They are going to be false individuals who are seeking to identify with Christ, but indeed are not even saved. And they will prey upon the congregation even as wolves prey upon sheep. But then Paul warns the Ephesian elders of false teachers that will come from within their own midst. Look at verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. From your own selves, from your own midst, from your own group will come those that are going to twist the word of God. In many ways, the dangers of false teachers comes from within and is even greater than the dangers of false teachers that come from without. It is easy to let down one's guard against false teaching from those whom we know and those with whom we have a relationship. There is a tendency to trust those that we know so well. And unfortunately, all too often, there is not the discernment that is needed to exercise when false teaching comes from within. There are numerous examples in the scripture, I will point to two this morning, of how these false teachers come from within the midst of the people of God. I'll start with Eli. Remember, Eli is the priest over Israel. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, that the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Eli was a highly respected priest. Eli himself 
had been faithful to, to God, but his sons did not even know the Lord. And 1 Samuel 2.17 says, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And as a result, they led Israel astray, and Eli did not discipline his sons, for he had a higher regard for his sons than he did for God. And as a result, the people of God were led astray. Samuel, a great prophet of God. Samuel, who was so greatly used of the Lord. You think of Samuel's influence upon, upon David, upon uh, Saul, upon the nation of Israel. But listen to what the word of God says concerning Samuel's sons. Verse Samuel 8, starting at verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judge over Israel. So Samuel placed his sons in a place of leadership. He placed them in a place of authority. It was Samuel's doing to establish his sons, because they were his sons, to be rulers over Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And so they are going to lead the nation of Israel astray. For they were the sons of Samuel, and that's why they were respected. We need to be on guard against, yes, even our children and our grandchildren who perhaps may not know the Lord, but because they are so familiar and because they are related to someone in authority that somehow they get a pass. Somehow we just nod and wink at what they may do or what they may say. So there is a great danger that exists from false teaching, both from without and from within the church. Thirdly, we need to be on guard against false teachers because of how, they, of how deceptive they can be. They can easily infiltrate and go unnoticed. False teachers will subtly introduce false teaching. 2 Peter 2.1. But false prophets also rose among people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will, and now this word, secretly bring in destructive heresies. False teachers are not going to wear a name tag that says, hello, I'm a false teacher. They aren't going to sound a trumpet they're not going to announce, now I want you to all listen to me because I'm a false teacher. False teachers are deceptive. They are going to want to pass themselves off as teachers of the truth. They are going to identify 
and present themselves as followers of God and as those that are seeking to bring honor and glory to him and a benefit to his people. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. That's why discernment is so important and so necessary. Because you're going to have to listen closely to what they say and whether or not it is consistent with and or contradicts the word of God. They will introduce their false teaching gradually. Oftentimes, false teachers will present a great deal of truth in conjunction with their false teaching. You know, it's like a, a little bit of leaven that is ingrained in a uh, loaf of bread or a little bit of arsenic, a little bit of poison. They will predominantly speak the truth. They will predominantly proclaim that which is in keeping with the word of God, but they will sneak in elements of untruth that will prove to be detrimental and ultimately, as we're going to see, is going to be extremely destructive. So Acts chapter 20, verse 30 says, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things. You see, they're using the scriptures. Again, that's what makes them so dangerous. They are using the scriptures, even as Satan used the scriptures in tempting Jesus when Jesus was in the wilderness. He quoted from the Old Testament, but he did so as a way to trick Jesus into sinning, and of course, Jesus resisted the temptation and corrected Satan as to what the Word of God actually taught. That's why we have to know the Word of God, for we have to be able to discern truth from error, for they are going to distort. They're going to twist. They're going to contort the Word of God into saying exactly opposite as to what it really says. False teachers will make themselves the authority, verse 1. But false prophets also among the people, just as there will false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. I'm looking at this word heresy. The word for heresy is dogma or opinion. Thus, their own opinions are more than mere opinions. They make them equal to the word of God. They are speaking these opinions with certainty. They are declaring how the word of God is to be understood and interpreted. They are saying that they know what you don't know, and you must listen to them. Many times false teachers claim authority from revelations that they may have had apart from the word of God. Many times false teachers will speak of experiences such as visiting heaven or visiting hell or having some kind of experience with God 
Or sometimes they just simply declare themselves to have an unusual might of insight or knowledge. They may point to their education or they may point to their aesthetic way of life or their supreme sincerity. But they're saying with great what seems earnestness that I am telling you the truth when in fact they are telling you falsehoods. Thus these false teachers actually become respectable teachers and gullible people follow them in their errors. Number four, we need to be on guard against false teachers because of the methodology they employ. False teachers often have false teaching regarding the person and work of Christ. Second Peter 2.1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And now we're talked about, now we're going to see how dangerous they really are. We're going to see how, how far off they can really become. And it says, even denying the master who bought them. Even denying the master. Okay, that's referring to Jesus. But it's referring to Jesus in a very specific way. And that is as master, as, as Lord. But it's a different word from Lord. Master refers to this individual who has authority over a slave. And so they deny the mastery. They deny being under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. They reject that authority. A common element of false teaching is to reject the authority of Christ over one's life. The way in which this is accomplished can be as follows. First, God's grace is turned into license to sin. God's grace is emphasized to the point that sin is degraded. Sin does not become this abominable, wicked thing. Sin becomes a rather small, inconsequential thought, and we just rejoice in God's grace and his mercy, and sin becomes kind of irrelevant, and we're just not going to talk a lot about sin any longer. There is a great similarity between our passage and the book of Jude. And listen to what the book of Jude says. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is to recognize his rightful rule and reign over our lives. We need the forgiveness of our sins because we have failed to live under the authority of Jesus as we ought. We have all gone, gone our own way 
we have followed our own hearts, we have given into our own desires, and we have failed to live under the authority of Christ in the way that we should. False teaching is that we can accept Jesus as our Savior without repenting of our rejection of his authority. There is this teaching, and it's come down today, and it's very, very prevalent in Christendom. And that is that you can accept Jesus as your Savior, and sometime later, if you want to, you can accept him as your Lord. You can accept him as your Savior from sin without any change, without any repentance, without any real concern for sin. It's just a get-out-of-jail-free card. Except it's a get-out-of-hell-free card. You don't want to go to hell? Believe on Jesus. Nothing about repentance, nothing about your sinfulness, nothing about the rebelliousness of your heart that needs to be transformed. For Jesus saved us not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin, and one day, even from the presence of sin, we're going to stand in the, the presence of God, totally without sin. Not only is that true objectively, in the sense that we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but when we're in heaven, we're actually going to be transformed. We're not going to sin in heaven. There's going to be no more lying, no more cheating, no more stealing. All of that will have gone away. In this life, there is progressive sanctification. God is changing us into the image of the Lord Jesus. The false teaching is that you can continue on to live any way you want. You don't have to accept the, the authority of Jesus Christ. Just ask him to forgive you of your sins. But a person who is truly born again has an incredibly wonderful change in heart so that they not only do they no longer reject Christ's authority, but they welcome it. They desire it. They see it as a good thing that God would have control over my life, that he would take an interest in me, that now I can be freed from my sin and see that as a blessedness. It's a joy to think about putting these things behind. I don't want to do these things any longer. That is the transformed heart, and that is the gospel. But they deny the mastery of our Lord. Appreciated the ministry and music this morning. And that message came through in a number of the songs that we sang. Christ, cornerstone. He is Lord. He is Lord over all. How foolish to speak of Christ as Lord and then reject his authority in our own lives. How can that be? How can that be? But notice 2 Peter 2.1. But false prophets also are among, rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who secretly will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Now this phrase, who bought them, how is that to be understood? Are these people who are really born again, they are bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? I personally don't think so. Although there are people that can be deceived 
And I think there are people who are born again who have been brought into this false understanding of the gospel who really are deceived, who themselves are saved, but they're passing on a, a horrendous, horrendous doctrine. But I think the context is more about the inconsistency of what they are saying. That is, they are saying they're bought with, by Christ and at the same time denying his mastery. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The idea of being bought with a price is that now you belong to him. He, he bought you. You are his possession. He has the right to do with you as he wishes. For he has redeemed you to himself. And how inconsistent, how unreconcilable it is logically to proclaim that he has bought me, that he is Lord, and at the same time to say, but I don't need to listen to him. I don't need to follow him. I don't need to repent. I don't need to change. I don't need to do what he says. Now, none of us, none of us are consistent in our walk with the Lord, but we should be consistent in our understanding that we ought to be walking with the Lord and we ought to be seeking to live under his authority. And the consistent discipline of the Lord will be manifest in our lives in a sense of our own recognition of our sinfulness and our need of repentance as we walk away from the Lord. The danger is in failing to see how pernicious this doctrine really is. To say, is it really a big deal? Yes, yes, it is a big deal. It's huge. False teachers will emphasize feeling over truth. They are ruled by their lusts. Verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality. Their sensuality. False teachers often are engaged in sexual misconduct and encourage others to do likewise. They teach that behaviors that God declares in his word as unacceptable are in fact acceptable. It's okay. It's okay to live together before you're married. It's okay to have sex outside of marriage. It's okay to engage in sexual acts of the same gender. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Well, the scriptures teach that it's not okay. But people will want to hear that it's okay. They will want it to be okay. And so they will follow them. False teachers are often motivated by personal interest. Verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you. In their greed, they want more. 
They want more. They want more for themselves. They want more power. They want more money. They want more prestige. They are seeking to promote themselves rather than to promote the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. They want authority. They want power. They want to have influence. These are not servants. These are masters. These are people who are not seeking to live under the authority of Christ, but to usurp the authority of Christ. They are seeking followers after themselves, as opposed to truly making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. False teachers often financially defraud their followers and take advantage of them, verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you. They will exploit you. They will buy and sell you. They, they are going to provide for themselves a luxurious lifestyle at your expense. Number five. We need to be on guard against false teachers because of the havoc that they bring. The havoc that they bring. False teachers are often successful in developing a large following. Verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. Many will follow them. We're not just talking about some kind of small, incidental element that exists. We're, we're talking about something that is pervasive. Many will follow. You know, the scripture teaches that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to heaven. In reality, there is more false teaching in Christendom than there is truth. That's how bad things are. But that's how bad things always have been. That was true in the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, we read about the remnant. The remnant. The remnant, of course, is referring to a material metaphor. The remnant is the small part of that bolt of material that's left over. It's minuscule. In the broadness of the kingdom, and you have all the kingdom parables that, that talk about the net being thrown out and all the, the fish that are brought in and all the different kinds of fish, et cetera, et cetera. You have the tares and the wheat. And all of these analogies, the false is greater than the true. There is more falsehood than there is truth. There are more false teachers than there are real, sincere teachers of the Word of God. That's how significant it is. That's why it says there will be false teachers among you. The false teachers reinforce the carnal desires of their people. It says in verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality. That is, that they are going to make decisions based on feeling rather than on, on thought and rational thinking, on truth. 
They're going to decide what it is that they like and what they don't like. How they want to live, and no one's going to tell me how to live. They're going to adopt the way of the world, and it's going to sound so good and so pleasing because that's what people want to hear. And we get to 2 Timothy, and it talks about people who will have itching ears. They're going to say what people want to hear. And that is that God loves you and God accepts you, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. In fact, we all worship the same God. It doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus Christ. All roads lead to, to, to Rome. Every way ultimately goes to heaven. It just doesn't matter. Just love everybody. Accept everybody. Welcome everybody. And reinforce that everyone is going to be in heaven. That's the message. False teachers have a negative impact on the testimony of believers. Second Peter 2, 2, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The way of truth will be spoken against. So, Many people will say, if that's what a Christian is, then I don't want to be one. Well, so often it's not a real Christian that people are looking at. Because of a lack of discernment, because Christians have welcomed so many people into such a big tent, we are stained through association. We are stained as we experience the same kinds of things that the world experiences. False teachers are ruinous of themselves and others. They are ruinous in their behaviors. Verse 1, it says, they bring in destructive heresies. These heresies are destructive in a myriad of ways. As we will see in weeks ahead, they physically, emotionally, and spiritually are harmful. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, referring to Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, it says, and if he, that's God, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. It was a misery for Lot to be living in Sodom in all its perverseness. This is not a way of freedom. It's a way of bondage. It's a way of bondage. Sexual freedom is not freedom. Sexual promiscuity does not result in joy. It results in misery. It results in heartache. It results in guilt. It results in families being torn apart. It results in parents not fellowshipping with their children and children not fellowshipping with their, their parents. It results in Children who are not being parented and who are not in families that they need to be in. It is destructive 
to our community. It's destructive to our church, and it's destructive to the world. These things matter. And ultimately, they result in God's judgment, 2 Peter 2, 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And once again, our text points us to Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of God's judgment, 2 Peter 2.8. For as that righteous man had lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Verse 7, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the people. And then verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Psalm and Gomorrah was a foreshadowing of a greater judgment to come. There will be a day in which everyone will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there will be a people who are saved, and there will be a people who are lost. The people who are saved have believed the true gospel. The people who are lost have believed a false gospel or no gospel at all. It really matters. It's really important. Or it ends in destruction for those who come under the authority of this false teaching. Conclusion and application. The scriptures are the sole authority of faith and conduct. I believe that all of us would acknowledge that. The scriptures are the sole authority of faith and conduct. All teaching must be subservient to and in keeping with the scriptures. But having said that, we must know that there will be individuals both from without and unfortunately within the Christian community that will provide teaching that is both inconsistent with and contrary to the word of God. So we need discernment to know what is inconsistent with and in contrary to the word of God. All teaching that is inconsistent with and or contradicts the scriptures must be rejected. No matter how much we like the person who says it, or no matter how much it may appeal to us emotionally, how much we want it to be true. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say when we talk about certain doctrines, well, I don't like that. It doesn't matter what we like or don't like. It's what does the scripture teach? It's not what we want to experience or not to experience, but what does the Bible say? That must constantly be our mantra. What does the Bible say? And be on guard against those that twist it that change it, that alter it. That's why the way that we teach the scripture is so important. That's why we go verse by verse by verse through the word of God so you can see the consistency, so you can see the logical outcome, so you can see that it indeed is based upon the right understanding of scriptures. 
And the scripture says that each one of us is responsible for what we sit under and what we hear. And we should search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. False teaching must be viewed as an extremely important issue. It's the issue between life and death, between heaven and hell. Sound teaching is vital to the welfare of the church, corporately and individually. Each person must exercise true diligence in discerning the truthfulness of what they are listening to. And we must keep in mind that the source of teaching extends far beyond the walls of this church. I implore you, I beg of you, be discerning in who you listen to on the radio, on podcasts, etc. Who you read. What sources, resources you use as a Sunday school teacher, a Bible teacher, anyone who teaches in the church program, as you search the internet for answers, know the source of those answers. Be discerning as to what the person believes who's posting those answers. Don't be gullible. Don't be naive. Be aware. Exercise discernment. There is a lot of good material out there. But I tell you, there's even more awful material that's out there. And you need to distinguish between the two. Discern the truth from the error. And perhaps the most pernicious thought of our day and age is for people to read, people to do resource, and they quickly come to the realization that scholars disagree you will quickly come to three and four and five and six different interpretations of approaches to the word of God. We're rapidly getting to the place of rejection of absolute truth. Brothers and sisters, there's right and there's wrong. There's truth and there's error. Don't get to the place where you just throw up your hands and you say, well, there are four different ideas about this, and so now we're going to teach four and say, pick one. It's our duty. It's our responsibility. It's our privilege to study the word of God and come to the rational understanding of what the Bible actually says. And that's what we believe. And that's what we stand on. And that's what we fight for. 
And that's what we will relentlessly hold on to and unapologetically defend. We believe the Bible is the inspired, authoritative word of God without error. And what it says is true. And none of us stand in a place of authority to override what the Word of God says. We are subservient to the Word. We're not masters of the Word. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Spirit that teaches us. We're, we're thankful that your Word even warns us of the reality of false teaching. And Lord, it certainly is abundant. Help us to, first of all, see that there is falsehood, there is truth. Secondly, to see that it's important to make the distinction. To realize the havoc, the misery, the destruction, and ultimately, the lostness of mankind. For People want to believe certain things, and one of the things that people want to believe is that everyone goes to heaven. But they don't. But they don't. The great gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world, born of a woman, born of a virgin, lived a life without sin, died on the cross, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father and is coming again. The one who is Master and Lord. The one whom we worship, not just in spirit, but in truth. Not just saying, Lord, Lord, but actually wanting him to be. The Lord of our lives. Lord, help us to live more consistently. Fan the faint embers in our hearts. For there is a sense and a spirit of, of disobedience, of unfaithfulness, of doubt, of uncertainty that exists within us all. But Lord, sanctify us through your word. Your word is truth. Blame the desires to love and to honor and to worship you. Lord, help us to believe that you love and care for us and your way is the right way. Your way is the way that is good for us. You are the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. And the good shepherd is now leading us. You are shepherding your church. Lord, help us to be the sheep who follow the shepherd. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.